Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. I'm Dave Gasper, joined by Matt Carroll. You know us as the editors at ReviewingTheBrew.com, and uh, it has been quite the time uh, in Brewers fandom these past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, first, a quick note and an apology for not having a podcast last week when the Corbin Burns news broke. Now, typically, since I would break on a Thursday night, which is when we usually record, we'd have that up on the next podcast, but we did not have a podcast up last week. And no, that is not because I was too distraught to <laughs> unfortunately, which many probably assumed, and, and they may have been right. Uh, I was certainly very distraught at the Corbin Burns news, but we will get into all of that uh, later on here in the show. But uh, the Brewers had the uh, wonderful idea to do this uh, while I was working. So in my day job working for iHeartRadio, I cover the Wisconsin Badgers basketball team as well. And the Badgers were just about to start a game against Nebraska uh, right as the Brewers were trading Corbin Burns to the Baltimore Orioles. So I'm flipping out, dealing with that. Now the game's starting. I have to watch and pay very close attention to the game since I'm talking about it on the post-game show. So I've got no time to to really deal with or process all of that. It took up my my whole night because uh, you know it was a later game and and having to be there for the post-game. So by the time I get done, I mean it's I'm ready for bed. And then just schedules not able to line up uh, for the weekend. Matt, you or I, there was no cross point where it's like hey we're both free right now uh so so that's the reason why we were not able to get anything uh up until until now until this week so again apologize for that i know that was certainly a big week and a big topic for us to talk about but now at least instead of having the tears (laughs) of me talking about corbin burns being traded to the baltimore orioles we've got a little bit of time in between that we have been able to digest this over the last week. Uh, it still tastes kind of funny uh, as as I'm digesting this. Not going to lie, Matt. Uh, it doesn't taste the greatest. Uh, but Corbin Burns being traded to Baltimore, D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, and the 34th pick in the 2024 draft coming back. Matt, what are your thoughts on this deal for the Brewers? Uh, my thoughts are, if we'd recorded this last week, we would have marked this explicit uh, <laughs> entirely for your end of yep. the analysis. The, the extra week might have been needed just just for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, straight up initial thoughts were, you know, when I saw the return, and I'm a big D.L. Hall guy, you know, I, I've been a fan of him, and, you know, I know he's been a top guy in the Orioles system system for a while. I think he matches up well with what the Brewers can do. But still, first thoughts for me when I saw that was I I thought it would have been more. I always felt like, and I think most Brewers fans always felt like if the Corbin Burns trade ever happened, unless it was at the trade deadline of his final year where he's a true, true rental and you get, you know, less back in return. I think most Brewers fans felt that any return for Corbin Burns was going to be at least three prospects. Now, it's two technically players yeah. at a pick, right, which technically will ultimately be three prospects. So, like, in a way, yeah, that, that is true. But at the same time, also, 
the Brewers were going to essentially get that pick just a year later. So the Brewers still get what they were originally going to get just quicker. So net, they actually didn't really gain a prospect. They gained a year on a prospect that they were already going to have. So likely, unless Corbin Burns signed a qualifying offer, which was never going to happen. So that was my first thoughts was I, I always just thought it was going to be more. Yeah. And I think that's, kind of it was the prevailing sentiment among most uh, that the return was a little bit underwhelming uh, now I've seen a lot of comparisons to it's like okay look if you kept them for this year you gave them the qualifying offer you're getting that same draft pick essentially so the draft picks are essentially a wash although next year's draft class is regarded as a better draft than this year um, but okay so the draft pick the same as what you would get if you kept them but instead, this time you're getting two more players over uh, several years of team control, D.L. Hall and Joey Ortiz. Now, both these players have been somewhat highly regarded in the past. Joey Ortiz is at the bottom end uh, of some top 100 prospects list. D.L. Hall used to be. Uh, he's graduated uh, off of most of them by now with 33 big league innings. And spending time in the big leagues over the past couple of seasons. Uh, but D.L. Hall was a first-round pick back in 2017. Uh, so he's been around quite a while. He's been a top prospect for quite a while. Been slow developing for him. 25 years old now. Same with Joey Ortiz, 25. And uh, these guys, they they have they have some potential. They, they do. Um, but the, there's no real... I don't know if I would consider either of them blue chips uh, or guys who are really, I, th- I think, guaranteed to be to be studs at all. Uh, D.L. Hall has the potential uh, with the stuff. He's got an 80-grade fastball, according to Baseball America. The problem is he's got 30-grade command. He's got a walks per nine over five in his minor league career, which is very concerning. It really is, especially considering Corbin Burns was kind of known as, as this control guy who didn't walk a ton of dudes. Now, he had a bit more this past year, but still, Corbin Burns, you know, ace-type arm because he had the great control plus the stuff. And D.L. Hall, obviously, again, earlier in his career than Corbin Burns is, but the command has been a long-suffering problem for him. And the Brewers are going to make him a starter. Uh, that's their plan. They believe that he is going to be a starter. But if you're going to be a starting pitcher in this league, you cannot walk five guys per nine innings. You just can't do it. So if you're giving up that many walks now, perhaps the Brewers feel that they can fix that problem. Perhaps they feel that they can solve his command issues, making whatever minor tweaks, put him in the pitching lab, solve the command problems. Maybe it's possible. Maybe they can do that. But this dude comes with so much reliever risk uh, that, you know, if he's not able to figure out those command problems, he's not going to end up being a starter. And then, really, the the Brewers definitely come out on the bottom end of this trade. And on top of all of that, D.L. Hall has never thrown more than 100 innings in a single season in his career. So if he's going to come in and be in this Brewers rotation— It's probably going to take him two or three years in order to reach 162 innings and be a qualified starter. You got to build him up. You can't just have him throw 95 innings one year and then just 180 the next uh, after having never done it before. 
they're just they're going to have an innings limit on him if he does well this year. Right. That's it, besides that just being the smart move for any baseball team, that would go exactly to how you know the Brewers develop their pitch, mm-hmm. pitchers. They don't just throw them into the fire and just work them into the ground out of nowhere. They they build them up through the minors, build them up through the majors. So yeah, to your point, if you, if you're expecting DL Hall to come in and replace Corbin Burns's innings, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, they're likely going to be, you know, shorter stints. It may be a little bit of him flipping back and forth. Um, it, but that there is definitely a lot of talent there. Like you said, Baseball America has him with the 80 grade fastball, even back in 2022. So to end 2022, he was a fifth ranked prospect in the Orioles system ahead of Kobe Mayo at the time, who was one of the guys that we've seen, you know, rumored to the Brewers. So you know, it kind of shows some of the company that he was in at one point. Um, again, Kobe Mayo being younger at that point, Deal Hall yeah. you know, also still kind of being, you know, reaching the apex of his prospect journey almost. Um, but he had 65 grade fastball even back then, but 45 grade control even back then. And this is MLB Pipeline's rankings. So um, has played in the futures game, was you know high prospect pedigree, first round pick. Like he's he's definitely got the stuff there. He's got the pedigree and he's got the some of the pure stuff. Again, you know that yeah. that fast the fact that he's got as high a rated face fastball as. James and his Lebowski. secondaries are, are rated pretty well too. Right. Um, yeah. It, it says a whole lot. Like, can he lot. throw him for strikes? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. And when you're a reliever, you've got a little bit more leeway because you're pitching in short stints. You you've got you know maybe an inning to get out of trouble before you're going to move on to someone else. Um, it you can have a little bit more of that walkerist. You just can't. As a starter, you can't be putting that many guys on base, especially oh. through walks where you're wearing down your arm by throwing more pitches. You're throwing at least four pitches yeah. <laughs> for every guy who you let on base for free, probably more. So it that's something yeah. that'll have to come back under control. <laughs> um, and, 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 and here's the thing, too. The Orioles viewed him as a reliever, um, even with their need in a starting rotation. The, the fact that they needed a top-shelf arm in their rotation, yeah. they've had openings. D.L. Hall has not been able to put himself in that conversation, even there in Baltimore. Now, granted, Baltimore is not known for their pitching development. Uh, right. they, they've, they've struggled to develop pitching year after year, and a lot of guys tend to have success as soon as they leave the Orioles organization uh, as pitchers. And the Brewers... They've been known as a great organization to develop pitchers. So perhaps the Brewers can can fix these problems. Uh, perhaps they see something in him uh, that that has him being a starting pitcher long term uh, that they can do. But there's risk. Uh, there is uncertainty in this. There is a giant question mark now in that rotation where you didn't have it before. And the rotation has been the strength of this team for the past several years on the back of Corbin Burns, on the back of Brandon Woodruff. Both of them are now gone, and you've replaced them with a question mark in D.L. Hall and a, a couple other veteran question marks, such as Jacob Junis, uh, who we'll get into in a little bit as well, uh, Joe Ross, who hasn't pitched in the last two years. That's what you've added to this rotation to replace Burns and, and Woodruff. So 
your rotation has gone from a strength to a major question mark. Now, granted, there is depth. There is there is talent. There's a lot of young pitchers there. So perhaps this could all sort itself out by, you know, by the time we get through this season. But coming into the season, it's a major question mark in that rotation. And it didn't used to be that big of a question mark before this trade. Yeah. Funny thing is, I was kind of looking back on some previous Brewers teams. And you have to go back to, of all teams, the 2018 Brewers team that almost made the World Series to find a team that didn't really like overly heavily rely on that starting pitching core. Cause in 2019, it kind of started, you started seeing it solidify, but like going into 2018, the Brewers rotation was Chase Anderson, who was coming off a very good year. Julius Chassin, who wasn't um, Zach Davies, who kind of was Brett, Brent Suter, who had limited ish, um starting experience and then actually started with a Brandon Woodruff start and then pivoted to Junior Guerra who had had a poor season the season before and was taken out of the rotation to start the year although he ended up making 26 starts so like they kind of that wasn't an overly inspiring starting pitching staff um going into the season now granted they had a much better offensive core that they were able to lean mm-hmm. behind um but th- that's just like that goes to show how far back you have to look to find a Brewers team truly that didn't rely on starting pitching. All, all Brewers fans have known recently is that team is led by starting pitching and, and a de- strong bullpen. Yeah. And then de- uh, strong defense behind them as well. And then you, you try and support that with offense. But, you know, in the last few years, it's been average to a little below average to a little above average, depending on the year. Like, yeah, it's 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 been a while since we've had a starting rotation that's looked like it does now. Yeah, where where it's just it seems like a major major question mark. But again, that 2018 team was able to have a lot of success because offense was their identity. And perhaps yeah. you know, thinking about you know what what does all this mean? Perhaps that's what the Brewers are going for this year because they did sign Reese Hoskins. Okay, so after the Brewers signed Reese Hoskins, it's like, okay, they're going for it in 2024. You got Burns coming back. You got Adamas coming back. You finally solved the first base problem with a great first baseman and Reese Hoskins. Your offense is looking good. Jackson Churio's coming up. You got you got the freshmen from last year uh, that are going to be in their second season and hopefully doing a whole lot better. And it looked like this offense was definitely getting much better. Um, and perhaps that's what they're going towards uh, again this year. And they just signed Gary Sanchez as well to be the backup catcher slash DH. And, you know, Gary Sanchez, that signing almost seemingly came out of nowhere. But Sanchez last year, even though he hits for a very low average, okay, very low average, he's not going to be a 300 hitter. He's not going to be competing for a batting title. But he hit 19 bombs last year. Uh, the The dude can hit homers. The Brewers needed more power in their lineup. They added it with Hoskins, and now it looks like they've added some more with Gary Sanchez. And he can and he can fill that DH spot uh, a little bit. That's also been a question mark that we've been talking about. Who's going to play there? Is it going to be a rotation of, of Yelich and a couple of the extra outfielders and Contreras? Are those guys going to be filling in? And now it looks like it's, it's probably going to be Sanchez. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to keep just two catchers and, and just have Sanchez and Contreras 
uh, as a two guys and, and Sanchez still playing just about every single day as, as a DH, or if they're going to carry three and, and have Eric Haas be the true backup catcher and Sanchez playing a bit more often in the DH spot. I'm not sure how it's going to work, but the offense, they've added the thump that they've needed with Hoskins and Sanchez and Churio coming up as well. So this offense, this lineup, Matt, looks pretty strong, and maybe that's where they're they're switching, going from the strength of the team being pitching to the strength of the team now being offense, having lost Burns, Woodruff, and Adrian Hauser from last year's rotation. Yeah, I mean, they don't really have much of another choice, that, you know, True. because of the fact that they've lost those starting pitchers. But bringing in Gary Sanchez, who, again, with the catcher's position seemingly being set, designated hitter maybe not so much so but at the very least they had you know we talked about it in previous episodes they did have op- options to kind of patchwork the dh position maybe a little bit better than they had in the past um so seemingly they could have been fine there the fact that they still brought gary sanchez in who was the top hitting catcher left on the market i mean they have a 2.4 uh b war in only 72 get 75 games last season is not too shabby. Um, an OPS just shy of 800, which would have ranked fourth on the Brewers uh, last season, not counting Abraham Toro. He only played nine games. Um, you know, shows that offense they are still trying to lean into that offense because they because they know they have to. And I I think you know the. When when it first happened, I think a lot of Brewers fans were a stunned because they were like, "Really, another catcher?" And b kind of like, "Okay, just Gary Sanchez. That's not." If you would have given me 25 remaining free agents that I thought the Brewers were going to sign, I don't know that I would have named Gary Sanchez. Yeah. Um, maybe if you gave me 50, I would have gotten to him. Um, but the more I thought about it, and I, and I wrote about this too, it does give the Brewers a couple different options. One. They weren't. There was no guarantee that they were officially "quote unquote" set behind William Contreras. Eric Haas had a very bad year last year. There, he's had some good seasons too, but there's no guarantee he bounces back and looks good. Um, and Jefferson Caro's 21 and hasn't played a Triple A yet. Those are the other two catchers on the 40-man roster. So if that doesn't work out, if Caro isn't ready and Haas shows that he's not bounced back, boom, you've got a good, you've got a backup catcher. And one that you generally don't have to worry about there being a, you know, just it's not, we don't know if this is going to work out. Gary Sanchez is a nine-year MLB veteran. He had an OPS of about 800 last year. He'll be fine. But if Haas does work out, then, yeah, you've now got a DH option, which just seems more sensical to me of where they would end up playing him. But maybe you can finally solve that issue, as we've talked about also plenty of times. Since the DH became permanent, the Brewers have not solved a position that entirely relies on offense. That is the position. It is in completely offensive-minded. Yeah. You should get just free offense, and the Brewers in two years haven't been able to figure it out. So now maybe him combined with some of the other players who will rotate through it makes that DH position all of a sudden look a little bit better, something that Brewers fans aren't necessarily used to. Yeah, I mean, Jesse Winker last season, I mean, he was a DH for most of it while he was healthy, and he was the worst qualified hitter on the team mm-hmm. uh, in terms of 
OPS, batting average, pick a stat. Uh, he was the worst guy on the team, and his only job was to hit. And, yeah, so you definitely need an upgrade there. And uh, I think we'll end up getting that from Sanchez and the combination of everyone else, Yelich and Weimer and Mitchell and all those guys rotating through in the outfield. Contreras will probably get some time there. Maybe Hoskins will get some some time there, too. Uh, plenty of different options for Pat Murphy to use that spot uh, now with Sanchez in the fold. Uh, but, yeah, a- excellent point there, too, on, on the backup catcher spot. I think we all kind of assumed it's like, okay, well, they signed Haas to a major league deal. He's probably going to be be the backup guy. That's, that's just kind of what it is. And move on to everything else. It, it seems settled, but uh, it clearly was not. Brewers continuing to look to improve um, after – I still think downgrading their roster from the Corbin Burns trade. Now, the Brewers may feel differently, obviously, because uh, they get paid to do stuff like this, and they've got uh, numbers and stuff that I don't see. But uh, Joey Ortiz was another part of that deal. We talked about D.L. Hall a little bit um, and and the draft pick. But Joey Ortiz, he also comes over. He's a shortstop by trade and an excellent defender at shortstop. Uh, But he figures to now be competing for the third base job uh, with Tyler Black and Andrew Monasterio because Willie Adamas is still here for now. Uh, We'll see. There's also been rumors that Adamas might go next. But Joey Ortiz comes in. And and really, Matt, there's questions here, too, about him. I mean, excellent defender, yes. But how much impact will there be with the bat? Uh, His power has shown a little bit of improvement, but it's still kind of fringy. And uh, the bat... Uh, played really well in Triple A, uh, but once he got his short stint in the big leagues, it did not go super well. But uh, Joey Ortiz, really to me, Matt, feels like a very similar player to Bryce Terang. Yeah, similar player to Bryce Terang, similar player to maybe South Freelick minus minus speed, but he kind of fits that mold a little bit of the Brewers focusing on the guys who are more the like hit first on base first. Type guys is not a guy who's going to hit for power, so you know don't worry about that. That's that's not really his, that's not his calling card at all. Um, although he did have 19 homers in 2022, so not too shabby. Um, but again, that's he's going to give you very strong defense. I mean they've they've talked elite defense, but then again, like like you said, so Bryce Terang, same thing. Um, so very similar to that, it's. Makes me wonder, I, I know I've, I've seen talk about how, like, the Brewers will work him in at third base, and he has played a little bit of third base in the minors, so, you know, that's not foreign to him at all. That more seems like a, just filling a need for the Brewers, because third base isn't settled. They already have Willie Adamas for shortstop, so there's no, you know, if, if you want to try and see what you have in Ortiz and you want to get him some major league opportunities that's probably going to just have to come at third base. So I think that's really where that goes. I don't see Joey Ortiz being a third baseman of the future, quote unquote, for the Brewers, but he does give you more options at shortstop after Willie Adamas leaves, because as we know, he only has one year left of team control for the Brewers. So one way or another, 2024 is likely the end for yeah. a 2025. You will have a new shortstop it, in, exactly. in Milwaukee. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So uh, before we assumed that could be, would be Bryce Terang, but now you could potentially still have, keep Terang at second and have Ortiz at short, you know, you've got some, some more options going forward, but 
you lose a bunch of that run production that you had from Adamas, which granted is rare for a shortstop. You know, you don't mm-hmm. generally get shortstops who hit yeah. as many home runs and RBIs as uh, yeah. Adamas and, has these days. And, and at the same time, if you put Bryce Trang over there, it, it'd be the same thing. You you right. lose that power. Um, you know, you still might be getting a chance to hit for a high average. Um, but yeah, you, you're not going to have power as a big part of it, uh, going forward with either of those guys. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we were talking about the offense too, and, and trying to have the offense be better. And Ortiz, uh, he's, he's going to be slated to compete for that third base job right now. And he is on the 40 man roster. So that is going to help his case. Tyler Black currently is not. But Tyler Black is a much better hitter than Joey Ortiz. He brings much more to the plate when it comes to, you know, just hitting for average, hitting for some power, uh, speed as well as 55 stolen bases last season. So Tyler Black brings you more offensively than Joey Ortiz will. Joey Ortiz brings you more defensively than Tyler Black. Um, So... I can see where the Brewers are, are going to be looking back and forth there. Maybe we'll see them split time, whatever it is. Um, but that that's going to be a camp battle to watch in spring training once it finally gets underway here at some point, uh, actually next week, one week uh, one week from now uh, on the 15th. So we are seven days away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Yeah. There's positivity. Yeah, seven days away. But, yeah, so that is going to be one of the big battles to watch at third base. Uh, Ortiz is going to be there. Black is going to be there. Andrew Monasterio is hanging around as well, but uh, I, I think Monasterio is best suited as a utility option. Uh, best because Monasterio can play short. He can play second. He can play all over, um, but he doesn't bring you that much with the bat, especially with power. Um, he's able to draw some walks, get some get some solid hits. Uh, so I think he might be better suited as a utility guy than a starting infielder on this team. Uh, but that's it, it does bring another option, but I think if we're looking at third base, that's where a lot of us were looking at Kobe Mayo instead. And if it was Mayo and DL Hall and the draft pick, I, I think Brewers fans would have taken it much more easily, uh, the, this Corbin Burns trade, just because Mayo was the guy that, that we've been looking at. He's a corner infielder, uh, which fits the needs of the future because corner infield has always been a problem. So maybe if they switched out that, uh, the reaction would have been much, much different. Yeah. Now, that may also speak to how the Brewers feel at their depth past the major league level at some of those different positions. Mm-hmm. When you look at third base and first base, kind of corner infield in general, we've got Tyler Black. You've got Brock Wilkin, who they feel very, very good about. you got Wes Clark, who kind of emerged last year and now you know could be – making his way towards the majors, you're feeling a little bit better there. But in the middle infield with once Adamas leaves, yeah, it's, you know, prior to this trade, you had Bryce Terang, you've got Oliver Dunn, who was brought in, I guess, you know, I don't know. That, you know at a pretty high price, too. At a high price. Robert Moore and Henry Mendez. So, yeah, so so you have him there. Past that, I mean, that's where a lot of the, you know, shortstop, you know, prospect up that you have is still way farther down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense then a little bit uh, why they may have wanted to go in the direction of Ortiz 
versus the direction of mail um, based off of just what they kind of have in the pipeline that's getting close to the majors. Yeah, uh, th that may have been part of it as well. Um, but just the, the sheer offensive potential that Kobe Mayo brings, um, it, it's just it's so much. And, and it's right there uh, that, that could really help out the Brewers instantly with this roster. So, you know, Ortiz, does he really improve you offensively? No, not really. Uh, but, you know, defense has been his calling card. Uh, we'll see how he ends up developing as, as a hitter at the plate. Maybe he ends up being better than Terang. Maybe Terang ends up being better. Um, but uh, they, they seem like similar types of hitters, except Terang has more speed, more stolen base ability. Uh, just a handful of stolen bases for uh, Ortiz last season. So we shall see. Uh, but uh, the Brewers... D.L. Hall comes in, maybe he'll compete for a spot, but the Brewers needed a veteran to come into that rotation to eat up some innings, and they found Jacob Junis, signing him to a one-year contract for about $7 million. Uh, he comes in, he split time between the rotation and the bullpen the past couple of seasons, Matt. Uh, he was a starter for a couple of years with Kansas City. Uh, you know, he's kind of always been like a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, and, and Junis is going to come in here, and he's he's going to be, I feel like, Colin Ray, like the 2024 version of Colin Ray, where he can be a swing man, uh, he can be like the sixth starter, um, although he's I think he's going to be a regular on the rotation at least to start, uh, but he'll be a guy who you're hoping to get five solid innings out of. Anything more than that is just kind of gravy. <laughs> I hope it's more than that, uh, considering they gave him some money <laughs> to come yeah. here and play for the Brewers. Um, you know, yeah, 31 years old, I believe. Yep, 31-year-old Jacob Junis. Um, had a solid year last year, but again, you know, the Giants used him primarily out of the bullpen. Um, he For the amount of money you're giving him, he's got to be a starter. So, yeah. um, you know, you now shore up a little bit. That rotation, which when you were looking at Colin Ray being your third starter, you needed you're looking at a problem. Yeah, you needed yeah. some more help. Freddie Peralta. I mean, the the fact that there's you know, McAlvey's bold prediction was that uh, Peralta wins the NL Cy Young this year, but that goes to show you you know what some people think of him. He has that stuff where he can be at very least the number two guy. He's going to have to be the number one guy for the Brewers. Wade Miley, if he keeps defying father time, very solid right behind him. But, man, is that a drop-off to 3-4-5 um, when you yeah. had your next Colin Ray and uh, Joe Ross. And, you know, we don't know what Aaron Ashby is going to be like as gas are ready, et cetera, to go down the line of kind of the multiple yeah. guys you have in the mix there. Junis immediately factors in. He, he might be your number three guy. I think so. Yeah, I think I think you're slotting him in there to start the season as your three and maybe Colin Ray as your four. Just just with the money that the Brewers gave Ray after the performance that he had for them last season, really solid, stepped up when they needed him. Uh, so I think you could be looking at Ray for that four spot uh, coming into spring and then competing for five. Uh, you're going to have Hall and Ross and Ashby and Gasser and Carlos Rodriguez um, so you're going to have guys there that, to provide that kind of depth, but uh, it, it's certainly a, a, a far cry from what they had when it was Burns and Woodruff and Freddie as your number three. Going from Freddie Peralta as your number three 
uh, who, as you mentioned, could be regarded as a Cy Young candidate. Going from Freddie Peralta to Jacob Junis as your number three is is a big drop. Um, but hey, you know, stranger things can happen. Baseball isn't played on paper. We know that. Uh, the Brewers yeah. on paper have had one of the best rotations in baseball the past couple of years. And they still haven't won a World Series, as we all are painfully, painfully aware. So maybe it'll happen. Who knows? But uh, yeah, Junis was definitely that they needed a veteran innings eater to come in after they lost or after they traded away Burns. And that's what Junis is is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So makes you feel a little bit better about the starting rotation. I certainly would not be unopposed to the Brewers still going out and, you know, grabbing one more guy. I, I don't Blake Snell. No, I'm just kidding. Like, yeah, hey, go for Jordan it. Jordan Montgomery. Mean, we've got his personal catcher here. Gary Sanchez is here. So, yeah. you know, maybe maybe that was the preclusion to the – yeah, no, no, not happening. Yeah. But, precursor? And, uh, pre- yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. So, not that there's a ton of guys out there, though, either. I mean, that's why it ended up being a Jacob Junis, because it's not like – outside of the guys who are, like, way too expensive, there's not a, not a ton of – guys left that you could bring in and you're like, well, that's obviously the answer. Like, so the Brewers get a guy who, you know, again, he's in his early thirties, at least he had an encouraging year last year. He's got starting experience and you feel a little bit better about the starting rotation. It does give you now a little bit more leeway to figure out the back part of that rotation and let See what happens in the spring. See if Ashby looks, his shoulder actually looks strong and, and back. See if Gasser or, a you know, a Rod, Carlos Rodriguez even, you know, if we're going to dream, could, you know, work their way into a spot. If um, if Joe Ross looks like, you know, that time spent off and, and that little bit of him coming back at the end of 2023 ends up, he had some good seasons early in his career, you know, it's it's easier to let those things happen when you don't have to actively rely on them for wins and can kind of, you know, whether it happens in AAA, whether it happens in spot starts or things of that nature, um, easier to let that happen when they don't have to be such an integral part of the team. So a little bit more at ease after that. Although I'd still rather have Corbin Burns, let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I saw this on, on Twitter, um, too, that after the Burns trade, uh, you know, with that, the Brewers freed up, you know, 15 whatever million dollars in, in payroll. And since then, uh, they have added about the same amount in payroll. Obviously, Hall and Ortiz uh, included in, in that on their league minimum salaries, plus Junis, $7 million, and now Gary Sanchez for $7 million. Uh, so totals around, you know, 15 plus whatever. Uh, so about about the same money as they would have put into Corbin Burns. They're now putting into four different players. D.L. Hall, Joey Ortiz, Jacob Junis and Gary Sanchez. And I posed this on Twitter about, you know, is the is their their combined war? These four players is their combined war going to be higher or lower than what Burns posts this year in, in 2024. So, so basically are they reinvesting these dollars to get more production? Now, granted it's one player versus four, um, but you got two 
unproven young guys. You got Gary Sanchez, who's going to be a backup catcher in, in DH. Uh, you got a middle-of-the-road starting pitcher. Um, do you think, Matt, that the war for these four guys combined is going to end up being higher or lower than Burns' war this year in, in his walk year in Baltimore? It sure freaking better <laughs> for four <laughs> players. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we chatted about this a little bit in the group chat. L- last year, those four combined to finish just .1 shy of Corbin Burns. Now, Corbin Burns had a little bit of a down year by his standards. I would hope, for his sake, that it is a little bit higher in 2024. Now, he's going against the gauntlet of the AL East instead of the not gauntlet of the NL Central mm-hmm. um, during you know a, a good chunk of his game. So we'll see how that affects him. Um, but on the Brewers' side, I think, uh, does Sanchez hit 2.4 again? That's what he was um, for last year in just over 70 games, which is actually honestly kind of impressive. Um I don't know. I assume he plays more games, but will he hit those numbers, you know, offensively again? We'll see if he gets that high. But also, I don't think D.L. Hall will be a point two in war again, like last year, just by sheer playing time that the Brewers are likely going to give him. So if Sanchez comes down a little bit, I think Hall comes up a little bit. Junis was he was like a one or something like that, maybe a point seven. I don't know that he maybe moves his needle a whole lot. Ortiz will be the same thing. You know, if he gets actual playing time, he might be a little higher. So I could see it being higher. But again, it's four friggin' players. It should be higher. As good yeah. as Corbin Burns is, they should have a higher combined war next year. And they they better. Yeah. I mean, Burns going into his walk year, um, his final year of arbitration before free agency, which he has been talking about that, that he has been looking forward to. Um, and trying to look for a big, big contract. Obviously, you know, has Scott Boris as his agent. And uh, th- this is going to be a big year for him. Uh, it's a platform year. And how he performs can be the difference between millions of dollars in his next contract. And I, I want to raise this as well. I, I want to talk about this because this has been bugging me as well. Because I see this a bunch on Twitter. Um, everyone talking about uh, Burns not wanting to be here. Uh, it's like, yeah, hey, he don't want to be here, so so that's why you trade him. And it's like, oh well, you know, I heard some suggesting it's like, well, you know, crumbled in big games. He's he's mad at the mad at the Brewers. The mere suggestion that that Corbin Burns would not perform as well in big games just because he's pissed at the organization, just because he doesn't want to be here, is absolutely ludicrous. Absolutely. Ludicrous. I, I cannot believe some have even hinted at that. And it, it makes absolutely no logical sense because the difference between performing in big games. I mean, first of all, just the competitor that Corbin Burns is, that we've known him to be for all the years that he has been here. The sheer competitor would not let him ever do that. He, he That is not how his mentality is going to be on that mound or prepping for any single start. And when it comes to those games, that is how you get paid as a starting pitcher. That is the difference between a $200 million contract and a $300 million contract. You can bet pretty well that Corbin Burns is going to be going after Garrett Cole's $324-whatever-million contract. 
for a pitcher reaching free agency. You know he's going to want that. You know he's going to be aiming for that. And if he's going to command a $300 million contract, you know how you get there? By performing well in big games. Garrett Cole got it because he led the Astros in the postseason. That's how he ended up getting that kind of big contract. So this idea that that Burns is he doesn't want to be here. He's mad at the organization, you know, not pitching well in big games. Like, it, it makes no sense. You would have had the most motivated pitcher out there to dominate in every single big game. He's in his walk year. He wants to get the big bucks. We all know it's not going to be in Milwaukee. We all knew he wasn't going to be signing back here. Whether he performs well in big games or not, he ain't coming back. But performing well in those games is how you get that $300 million contract that he's going to be looking for. So this whole suggestion that it's like, oh, well, you'd rather get rid of him uh, because he doesn't want to be here. It doesn't matter if he wants to be here. He doesn't have a, a, a closet that allows him to seek a trade. He can't demand a trade. He's not going to. It's ridiculous. So you would have had the most motivated guy out there to dominate every single start. Just as the competitor that he is and trying to get the contract that he wants and the, the suggestion that getting rid of him just because of something like that is is just absolutely ludicrous. And, and I've seen it way too many times on, on Twitter and, and whatever else, just talking with people that it, it just I, I had to say it. It's it's ridiculous. And uh, I don't understand how anyone can look at the situation that way. 100 percent. You're just not paying attention to what athletes are like and how they compete if you're going to say stuff like that. It's it's the same thing about talking about, you know, players, like, giving up on a season and tanking. Like, no, players have no. contract incentives. They have future contracts to play for, like you're saying. Like, players have every reason to perform at their best outside of the sheer competitiveness of it. Going – that same thing with football – and like and the people who say, like, do you think Taylor Swift is a distraction to the Chiefs? I guarantee you that not a single Chiefs football player is on the field worried about what. Oh, my God. Taylor Swift. This this whole situation is just so in my head right now. I just oh, I missed a tackle. Oh, no, that is not happening. Like. I am sorry. No player when they are on that field is thinking of those types of things. And if so, they are, they do not make it to that level. You're damn right they Absolutely. do. Absolutely. So, no. Players are competitive. Players have things to play for. There's zero chance that like a player's competitiveness is going to suffer because of those types of things. And no reason that a team is going to move on from a player and hamper their chances at winning – because of mm-hmm. petty stuff like that. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. It's just, I, I yeah. 100% it, agree. It's it doesn't just matter bad. if he doesn't want to be here. That This isn't the NBA where, you know, James Harden can be like, I don't want to be here. Trade me to, to this team that I want to uh-huh. go to. And then a year later, I don't want to be here anymore. Trade me to this other team that I want. And then go destroy them and then go, go demand a trade to a different team. Uh, it, it's not like that in Major League Baseball. And, you know, despite all the differences that Burns may have with the organization, he may not want to be here. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to Matt Arnold. It shouldn't matter to to Pat Murphy. It shouldn't matter to Corbin Burns. Because when he's out there, he's going to have to go out there every single fifth day, and he's got to put out the best start that he can. Because that's what he's going to do. Even, Even last year, as soon as 
the the arbitration stuff was over. It's like, all right, look, we got to put it aside. Now I just got to focus. I just got to do my job every single fifth day. It, it doesn't matter the differences with the organization. You just got to go out there and, and do it. And for him, he'd be playing for a contract. He'd be playing for a contract here with the Brewers where he's been his entire career. And now he gets to do it with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, an, another team that's, I mean, they're looking to to win the division. Once again, they won the AL East, a very competitive division. Uh, they've got their sights set on uh, on a World Series, and they've got a great young team. And, you know, maybe he can do it there and, and have a great walk year. Uh, they know they're getting a motivated player. Burns was talking about uh, how, you know, the, the, the bullpen session, you know, there's a little more juice to it after the trade. Um, but he was a little bit surprised by it as well, uh, the fact that this came down. And he mentioned this, too, uh, on foul territory, how – the trade, like the Brewers trading him, seemed kind of counterintuitive to to what they've been doing. They signed Reese Hoskins. It's like, okay, seems like we're going for it. Seems like I'm staying put. And then all of a sudden they trade him for a couple of prospects, and it's just like, are are we competing or not? What what's what what are we doing here? Because again, like, like I said earlier, it seemed like you made your roster worse uh, by trading Burns. But you know, even like Burns, even the guys on the roster are kind of looking at this like, okay, we signed Hoskins to to help with first base. We had Burns, and now we just traded him for prospects. So are, are we trying to win this year or not? Yeah, it, if if the Brewers had stayed put after that or made smaller, much smaller moves afterward, then I think there'd be more question about it. But at the very least, the fact that, like, Right after that, you know, you had Junis, you had Sanchez that got brought in. They just realized, I have to imagine, that, you know what, we need to get something for Burns while we can. At the very least, we get two very highly regarded prospects. You know, Hall, again, former top five. Ortiz is a top 100 in baseball prospect right now. So they get two very good prospects. Um, They get something for him. But then continue that they go forward and, and at the very least reinvest that money. You can question how they reinvested it, whatever. Um, but they did it at the very least still use it. So, yes, it seemed counterintuitive at the time in the timing of things because Hoskins, the deal had only just started to kind of die down when all of a sudden, bam, we're hit with the Burns trade. And that made it at the time seem like that counterintuitive thing. But then they kept going and they kept adding back to the roster when it was already full. So in the end, it seems like they're just they realized it had to happen because of the fact that it had to happen. That means the team kind of has to be structured in a different way than we're used to. And they kept leaning into it with the moves that they made afterwards. So I get that feeling. But at the very least, they kept at it afterwards. Yeah, um, which is which is good. Um, we, we figured there had to be more moves coming after this Burns trade, you know, especially in the rotation, and they did that with Junis, um, Sanchez, you know, adding to the offense. Um, and there were also concerns that you know maybe it's like okay, because Burns looked at this as like, look, it's the last year of Burns. Uh, you know, when it comes to the trade deadline, because we went through this with Hater, uh, if you're competing at the trade deadline, you can't trade Corbin Burns. So they learned their lesson from that, that they they cannot make this trade at the deadline because because of the NL Central, they're likely going to be competitive. They're going to be within reach of a playoff spot. 
this season uh, in the NL Central. So they can't do it then, and they don't want to lose him for just a draft pick. So they felt the need to do it now. And they got the draft pick plus two extra players that they feel can help them out in the near future. Um, but, you know, now that raises the question of Willie Adamas. And, you know, you get a shortstop back for, for Corbin Burns. You know, Ortiz could jump in right away if you really needed him to at shortstop. And Adamas, same thing. He's in his last year of arbitration before free agency. You know, could we see a deal happen there? I would be even more confused about what the Brewers plan to do this season if they moved Adamas than Burns now that Burns is already gone. Because if you move Adamas, now you've completely messed with the fact that, like, if you're if you're going to move Burns and lean into the team being supported by the offense, you can't get rid of a guy who is going to give you close to 30 homers and 80 to 90 RBIs during the season. Like you get rid of him. Sorry, Terang and Ortiz ain't <laughs> filling that hole. So if you moved Adamas, it would have to be either for someone who's going to provide the same amount of run production, which generally is just not how trades in major league baseball work or have a, a plan to follow it up with a signing who's going to replace that run production like that. I cannot see with the direction the team is going and with how it's going to be structured for 2024. I just, I can't see them moving Adamus now. Like it's just, there's, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would completely agree. I don't think that they can, you know, you've already lost Woodruff. You've already lost Burns. Uh, if you get rid of, um Adamus it's just going to be so so difficult uh for them to to compete it's so much veteran presence lost uh that I I don't think they can they can do it uh they might just roll with Adamus and let Adamus and Hoskins take their qualifying offers next offseason and get the draft picks for them um and they still end up fairly loaded in that 2025 draft class not as loaded as they could have been with a Burns qualifying offer, but they get some replacement production now. Uh, we'll see how much Ortiz and Hall bring in their first seasons. Um, but that's uh, that's where things stand currently uh, as we are just a week away from pitchers and catchers reporting. We're almost there. Almost there. Spring is almost here. Truck day has already happened. The truck is heading down um, to Arizona as we speak. And... Next time we talk, Matt, pitchers and catchers will have reported. Yes. My, we have made it. My greatest birthday present every year. I say that on the There podcast, we go. But it truly is. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, that will do it for us uh, on this week's episode. Um, thank you again for listening. Again, apologize for missing last week. The craziness of our schedules uh, is insane. Um, but that'll do it for us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Again, be sure to follow both of us on Twitter. I am at DGasper24. He is at MKEMAT13. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.